Hello everyone, welcome to A Year Ago Today. I'm your host, Tyla Fowler, and I'm thrilled to have you here. Seriously, thanks for listening. It means so much to be able to share these conversations with you, and I'm filled with gratitude by your presence. I'm super excited to present this week's episode. It's a conversation with one of my very best friends, Hayani Cantisano. Hayani is a Brazilian actress living and working in New York City, and she's one of my favorite people that has ever walked the face of the earth. If you're living in New York, I highly recommend you get yourself down to the Flea Theater in Tribeca. Oh my god, Hayani just texted me, and that's what that ding was. (laughs) Anyway, I recommend you get yourself down to the Flea Theater in Tribeca, where you can see her performing in the show Good Friday. I will put a link to the show's trailer and to purchase tickets in the show notes. Sadly, I discovered last night during the edit process that there was an audio issue at the end of this episode, and so the closing of the conversation, including our final questions, were lopped off of the recording. I'm receiving this as an opportunity to relish in the divine imperfection of the creative process, an invitation to take things a little less seriously, and I'm really sorry that it got cut short. (laughs) I know it's not ideal. Before we dive in, there are a couple of things that are really important for me to share. First, listening back to this episode, I got really present to how much I'm cursing. (laughs) It's a habit I've gotten into, and I'm recognizing I'm ready to clean it up a bit. Thanks for bearing with me and for witnessing me in the evolution of how I use my language to communicate. Second, also on the topic of language, I want to own at the outset that in this discussion, which is a lot about sex and oppression, Hayani and I are speaking mainly in the binary of men and women. I know that in today's world, this binary view is kind of outdated and that those with a non-traditional gender identity are equally affected by the issues we're speaking about. I hope you'll grant us some grace as we work to expand our understanding of the world and that Even though we're speaking in the binary, you'll be able to take what resonates for you in this conversation and leave the rest. I hope that you can forgive anything that triggers or activates you and use it in service of your own evolution. It's our deepest intention that this conversation serves as a healing force in the world and that you receive exactly what you need for your highest good. Finally, I want to let you know that this is the final episode of season three. This season has been such a ride, and I couldn't have done it without my production team, Sally Mercedes, Alex Francis, and Adam Pierce. These humans, along with all of my guests, have made this season possible, and I'm eternally grateful for their energy and light. To be perfectly honest, I'm not yet sure if this podcast will go on to have a fourth season. For the moment, I'm focusing on building my life coaching business and serving the world in that particular way. As I mentioned on last week's episode, as a special gift for my incredible listeners, I'm offering a free breakthrough session to anyone who thinks they might benefit from a really powerful coaching experience. If you're looking to have a breakthrough in your life, send an email to tyla at tylafowler.com with the subject line listener and we'll get connected. I'll be offering this gift through the end of February, so if you're into it, send me that email by February 28th. Okay, to everyone out there who's been listening, thanks so much for your support. It's meant the world to me, and it's been such an honor to create this show for you. And now, on with the show.
Hello, everybody. You want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> I'm here. This is Tyla. I'm your host of this podcast a year ago today. And I'm coming to you from my apartment in Brooklyn, New York, where I'm sitting across the table from one of my very best friends, Hayani Cantisano. Yes. Did I say it right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, there's some really annoying background noise going on here. It's 9.48 in the morning, and they've been jackhammering since 7 a.m., and now I don't know what that machine is that they're using. It's not it's a jackhammer, but rude. it's... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I can't do anything about it, so I hope you'll enjoy it as part of the scenery here, rather than allowing it to frustrate you and take you out of the experience. So yeah. that's a meditative challenge I'm issuing. Real-life podcast. Real-life podcast in New York. Yeah. Live from New York. It's it really Tuesday the morning. Mood. Yeah, it does set the mood. <laughs> um, okay, so, Hayani, will you please tell the people who you are and how you identify in this big, big world? Okay, uh, so I'm Hayani. I am from Brazil. I'm a New Yorker, but I'm originally from Brazil. I'm a how long have you been in New York? I've been in New York for almost four years. Okay, great. And I am a Latina woman, and I'm an actor as well, an artist, because I feel like... an award-winning actor. I am. <laughs> yes, I am. That's what you got to say. Yeah, I am an award-winning actor. I feel like it's just too long, and you know, people are interested in knowing more about me, I can just drop the... Award-winning. I love it. <laughs> if I won an award, I would just put it in front of everything. I'd be like, yeah, I'm an award-winning life coach. I'll change my Facebook name. <laughs> <laughs> award-winning. <laughs> Hi, Andy Kentisa. So good. Uh, yeah, uh, and I um, am also, I consider myself to be an activist. I'm a vegan, and I am deeply connected to the change that needs to be made in our world and I it's a big part of my life to try to identify and learn and educate myself and change things mm. that need to be changed so amen to that yeah yeah so that's me and like very, very summarized. I'm just gonna. Mm, yeah, that's you in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Okay, are you ready to dive in? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes. And let's take three really deep breaths together. So, inhale. Keep breathing and feel into what we're here to talk about today. And get really present in your physical body to any emotion or sensation that might be coming up. And when you feel like you've 
landed somewhere. I want you to share with me in one word how you're feeling. I'm feeling powerful. Ooh. Ooh. Onward. Okay, and now I'm going to invite you to finish this sentence. A year ago today. A year ago today, I had sex for the last time. (laughs) (laughs) And to clarify, not necessarily the last time ever. ever, No. But just like the last time you did it. Yeah. Man, I'm so excited to talk about this. Me too. It's like, it feels vulnerable, but Mm -hmm. also so exciting. (laughs) Yeah. So, where should we start? Do we want to start talking about the word powerful, or do we want to start by you just like contextually letting people know why it's been a year since you got laid? Um, I think these things are connected, so I feel like we... Maybe start with the context. Yeah, I think we'll get to powerful. Yeah. Um, Okay, so... I have been really uh, like drawn into my romantic life. I feel like my entire life, mm. uh, well, my entire adult life. So since I went to college or like became a woman, mm-hmm. I was always kind of like involved romantically with someone, and. Um, I just really never took a break to find out me. Like, what what do I love? What do I stand for? What, like, how do I navigate life without relating to another human being? Mm. And, uh... It's interesting because I feel like in Brazil, there is we're very we're very conservative in a lot of ways uh, as as a society, but there is um, an ownership of sexuality that comes really early Mm. to a woman or in a way that's different than here. Yeah, like even legally so. Like the legal age for sex in Brazil is 14 years old. Ay, 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 yeah. Ay. <sighs> so that makes me feel so many feelings in my body. I know. <laughs> yeah. And it's 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 weird, but like at the same time it's it's like yeah, it, it's it's a very. This is like a whole other discussion of like, is it is criminalizing like? Should that be allowed? Should it be allowed? Is it, yeah. So, what I'm getting is that you came into sexuality early, or well, interestingly enough, I was like, or into like ownership of your sexuality. I don't mean like having sex. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, like your absolutely. awareness. My awareness of sexuality yeah. came really early, and I also feel like because of patriarchy and like every and like Brazil's a really well, Rio's a really hot city, and 
everyone's like wearing no clothes uh-huh. every day. So as soon as you get your period and you get your your secondary uh, traits uh, as like uh, boobs, boobs and, and <laughs> boobs and pubes and pubes, <laughs> you become aware of your sexuality because uh-huh. people point it out to you all the time. Mm. Oof, I hate so, that. Yeah, it's it's very upsetting. It's <laughs> oof. Yeah, I feel like. 90% of the problems in my whole life come from, like, other people pointing out to me the fact that I happen to be a woman and an object of sex. And that I have a body. And yeah. That and this then is I'm, how my body appears And my primary world. objective is, like, for being fucked. Yeah. And you're like, okay, yeah. thanks for that. Yeah, so that being said, I felt like I had a lot to unpack once I started. Um, I guess it, it kind of got propelled I, I never I didn't think about that until just now but when I joined the flea mm-hmm. theater which is so if you guys have been listening I've had about a hundred people on this podcast so far <laughs> who have been uh, bats at the flea theater so the bats is the resident acting company of the flea theater in um, New York City just to fill you in on that yeah so when I when I joined them it like my it just opened up so much for me in terms of of like deconstructing myself and my prejudices and and everything that i that i thought i knew to be true like it really exposed me to a different world like and and a community where these things were being openly discussed and 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 tackled really and like tried to deal with and then I think it all culminated when I got cast in their uh, feminist play Ms. Estrada mm-hmm. which um, was a was a ride like it was a very turbulent production, but it was very educating for me. So, Mrs. Estrada was a hip-hop reinvention of, what's the name, Liz Estrada? Liz Estrada. Liz Estrada. Oh my, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you don't know Liz Estrada, the plot I can vaguely relate to you is basically like, when is it like in Greece? Yeah, it's the Peloponnesian War. It's the Peloponnesian War, and like the men just like will not stop fighting, and the women are so over it, and they decide to go on a sex strike basically, and like they're like we're not gonna have sex with you until you end this stupid war, <laughs> and it works, right? It did. They, they ended <laughs> the war. They did. So Mrs. Strata was this brilliant show that kind of re envisioned that story on a college campus where. Um, like basically it was like the frat brothers versus the girls and the girls went on a sex strike because of this drinking game war yeah it was just like because of the the Greek games yeah the Greek games oh my god it was so brilliant (laughs) so so brilliant it really you know that show brought me present to some feelings of sexual trauma that I hadn't been aware that I had from college specifically um, like some of the things that were acted out in that show 
were really, really reminiscent of experiences wow. I had. That, and it made me be like, holy fucking shit, I didn't realize how used I felt by those frat boys. Oh my goodness, I'm so, I'm so <laughs> glad that you had a response to it. And yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it really, it stirred me up too, <laughs> like yeah. a lot. It was, it was tough, like, t- dealing with the subject and, mm-hmm. and rape culture and understanding and uh, how, like, and not, not understanding all of them because there's so much still to learn, but a lot of the levels in which we are objectified and, and diminished, really. And taught to play into our own objectification and our own diminishment as a way to advance. Yeah. That's the heartbreaking part for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that was so brilliantly portrayed by Maddie's character. Oh my God, I know. We have this friend. Her name's Madeline May Mahoney. Madeline May Mahoney? Is it May? I don't know her middle name. Maddie Mahoney, and if you're listening to this, we love you. (laughs) Yes, she had this like incredible monologue in the middle of the show. Just, uh, I was bawling. So good. I know some. She often teared me up. She played this like super super ditzy sorority type girl. I don't even know if she's in a sorority, but a very ditzy girl. And um, then she just had this moment of being a total powerhouse. And you have this experience of seeing her. I feel like as an audience member, like when she finally stands up and does that monologue, mm. it's very moving and it's like you see her as a human for the first time because she's been so thoroughly objectified yeah. throughout the course of the show by the other characters and by herself. Mm-hmm. But that moment when she like stands up and uses her voice and is like, fuck this. I don't know what she actually says, but that's yeah. how I summarize it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's basically it. She's just being like, hey, I'm a person. Now yeah. I get it. And now I can... Yeah, it's it's it, it's a really powerful moment. And it was just... Yeah, so it, 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 really, it really stirred up a lot of stuff in me. And, like, interestingly enough, the production only happened, like, four months into my personal sex strike it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't intended to be but you didn't know going into it like that's the last time I'll be having sex for a while I had no idea that's funny I had no idea and like I had no like pretension of like doing that because I was like I I had been in a pattern for so long of like numbing myself with men Mm. <laughs> yeah, we talk about like alcohol or drugs or food, but I get that for sure. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like ever since I was like maybe t- eleven, I have been in like a cycle of like falling in love, breaking my heart, falling in love, breaking my heart, and it happened so quickly that it's like I don't even I I didn't even realize I was over someone until I was I was already in love with someone else in love like quote unquote because Ooh, yeah <laughs> yeah I don't I don't I have been in love but like it hasn't been my entire since you were 11 yeah life. like a lot of times I thought I was in love and then later I was like ah I don't know if that was love or not yeah yeah and, and sometimes I'm like that was definitely not love <laughs> it just happens it happens so quickly that it's just like no mm. yeah. No, I don't think that was. <laughs> yeah. 
But, um, I started to understand that I had a right to ask for what I wanted <gasps> and to assert my boundaries. Oh my goodness. And if I'm being completely honest, I think it this has lasted this long because it terrifies me to have to assert my boundaries. Amen. And um, once I started figuring out what I don't want, because I had a major story of like being attracted to unavailable men. A lot of people like, have that story. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> it's safer. You right? say it keeps us safe. Yeah. yeah. So it's either like the guy is emotionally unavailable. He will never like stick around for too long, or he has a girlfriend, or he's gay, or you know something that will not allow him to stay long enough around so that I will have to assert myself past the the initial entangled phase mm. of like, oh, everything's great. I really don't want to say no to anything. And then it starts happening and then you're like, I don't, I don't feel like I have the right to say no to this person. Oh, and yeah, there has been a lot of processing around that and a lot of, a lot of pain coming up. I think what you just said around, I don't feel like I have the right to say no is, um, it's deeply resonant for me. Mm. I have felt like that so often in relationship. Like, that once you're in the container of a relationship with somebody, you owe them something. Yeah. And that if you say no, you're going to hurt them mm -hmm. in some way. Emasculate. That's how I've always felt, honestly. Like, I can't say no or I'm going to emasculate him. And if I choose to say no, I have to say it in exactly the right way. I have to deliver it perfectly so I don't fuck up his confidence and make him unable to get hard from now on you yeah, know it's like and do all the emotional labor <laughs> yeah so it's like okay it's not only like how do I assert my boundary but it's like how do I assert my boundary in the perfect way that's not gonna make him feel any feelings essentially mm -hmm. you know which is like <laughs> how do I prevent this person from being a human being and then in the meantime on the inside you're like embroiled in your own hot mess of like but I don't want to do this right now or whatever the case may be and then you yeah and then to me like often well most of the times it was just about yeah I ended up doing it because also I didn't I wanted to be the cool girlfriend yeah. who always wanted to have sex always no matter what because yeah. that's like how you build like a relationship that's what's sexy and fun and that's what men want yeah Ugh. and and like I, I had the clear like, not not clear as in like I knew it, but like I, I knew it deep down that if I wasn't that person, I would end up alone. Mm. Um. And yeah, and there's another part of like subconsciously knowing that if I didn't say no. I couldn't be, I didn't have to accept that a lot of the times abuse happens. 
it's like, oh, I, I said yes, so, like, it wasn't abusive, even though it's crossing my boundary. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's consented, like, abuse, I feel. I don't know, like, how... You're participating willingly. Yeah. Supposedly. Yeah. And it's like... I, and I was thinking about that this week of, like... I I, I went out um, on Saturday with, with friends from the fleet. <laughs> and uh, I got a ride home from one of my guy friends. And when he offered it to me, I was so activated. Mm. I was so scared to mm-hmm. say yes. Because I was like, does that mean that I owe him something? What does it mean if I get in the car with him? Yeah. Does it mean that I have to do something I don't want to do? Yeah. And, and he had voiced to me earlier in the night that he thinks I'm attractive. Like, in like a, like a complimentary way. But, like, I was like, so... Does that mean that I have to, like, be clear now about not wanting... Or is it, like, do, can I figure out that if I if I am attracted to this person or not? Or, like, do I have the right... Do I have to assert something now? Or, like, what does it mean if I get in the car with him? Does it mean that I have to make out with him or whatever? So or I, does it mean that I have to have a hard line and know what I want and be able to say no and assert myself? Like, that's a lot. Yeah. Like, a lot weighing on like whether or not you get a ride home and I get it yeah totally get it yeah so you got the ride though I did and it was amazing and and we just talked the whole time and it's like and he just literally didn't expect anything from me which was wow (laughs) wow right he was just being a kind person that was so shocking how novel (laughs) um just kidding. Lots of men out there are really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, but also it's the wonderful men take, like, the toll sometimes yeah. for the men who are that great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, yeah, it's just been a, a whole process of, like, Finding out why I do things. Mm-hmm. Because, and that's really hard to say, but my why has always mostly been because of this person. Mm. I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It says the oh. woman who just got out of a five-year relationship. Yeah, I feel you. And it's, I mean, yeah, you must really, I mean, I don't know, like, you must know what that feels like, to just, but it's, it's that thing, right, that cliche of, like, oh, why would I buy lingerie if I'm not in a relationship where I don't have someone to wear it for. And that's, like, the example we always talk about. But it's not just about that. It's, like, why 
why would I take care of myself? Why would I be successful at work? Why would I, um, work on my, like, whatever, you know, like, I feel like, and, and, and being in love is a great thing, but it's just not the only thing that can motivate you to do things, right? Mm -hmm. And it has just been interesting and it, tough to take a hard look at that and be like, who am I when I'm not doing something for, like, I'm not, do I want to, like, dress up and, and be pretty and, like, feel attractive if I don't want to have sex with anyone yeah. tonight? That's so interesting. When you brought up the lingerie thing, I think it's such a good example because it's like, why would I wear lingerie if it's not, like, going to be seen by somebody else? And that's, like, essentially asking the question, like, am I allowed to be sexy if it's not in service of someone else's pleasure? Mm. Can I just be sexy in a vacuum, or is that not a worthy investment? Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with dressing up, right? If I'm not trying to attract attention, why would I bother dressing up? I'm like, well, because it makes me feel fucking good. it makes me feel great. And it doesn't, <laughs> it's not about getting something it's not about hustling towards something it's about existing powerfully and like sexual energy is creative energy it's the best yeah it, it, it's literally creative energy like that's how you create and bring things into the world that's how you from humans to, to art art exactly and I found I figured that out like from a very early age I started like doing theater in school when I was five and what I found was that when I had like a crush in the production of like it's the best feeling <laughs> it was so motivating yeah it was so motivating because yes there is the whole because I feel like five-year-olds nowadays and even in my time are already like picking up on Social, the sexual con context of things, right? And and social, like yeah, I remember like being three and everyone being like, "Oh, you're the girlfriend of the neighbor or whatever," you know? Oh my god, you're like, no, I'm a three year old child. I was like, <laughs> I just want to like eat whatever's on the floor there. Please, <laughs> just trying to be. play in the dirt. Would you leave me alone? <laughs> um, can but, you? That's so. I'm so glad you said that because I think that's so. I never have thought about that before. Like, when adults make jokes like that about children, like, oh, you guys need to get married one day. Mm -hmm. Like, it teaches women from such a young age, and men too. Yeah. That, like, I can't even put it into words. That this is a large part of how you're meant to exist in the world is in relationship yeah. to. Which is so unrealistic. And. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. So you're saying even from a young age, like, at five? Yeah, so I, I, 
I would pick up on the fact that if there was a boy and I thought he was cute in the production, I would be so much better at my work. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've been, tr- like, trying to figure that out for the past 20 years. And, like, interestingly enough, Mrs. Strada was, like, a really great turning point for that because all the heterosexual male in the cast had girlfriends. Mm. And that was right around the time when I was just, like, I'm not, I'm not saying yes. I'm, I'm not what I, I know I don't want an available man. So you were like, you had been, you were like four months into not having sex and then Mm -hmm. you get in this feminist play that's about a sex strike on a college campus and all the men in the show are attached. Yes. So they're all unavailable, which previously would be like heaven, right? Yeah. It's your type. Yeah. And then like my first instinct was to be like oh, this guy is cute, or or, this guy is cute, or, like, oh, maybe there's something there. And then I, like, I took a step back, and I was like, okay, that's the pattern that you don't want anymore. So how do you figure that out? And then at first, I totally, like, overcompensated and, like, almost, like, making myself invisible, like, and not being, like, sexual at all and being very, like, you know, like, super professional, but not, also, like, not playing, not existing in my, my fun, playful sexual energy. Yeah, so say not playful. Yeah. Oh, my God. I have so much to tell you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Tell me all about it. Yeah. I want to know. I just had a big breakthrough in play last week. Yeah. And I think you probably saw on my that. Instagram stories, yeah. but, um... It's just changed my whole life and I feel like I got my play back and everything everything has become sexually charged it's like amazing every conversation I have like every word out of my mouth I'm like oh my god that's dripping with innuendo can I possibly say that and I'll be talking about totally banal things like uh Like the event that we're putting together? Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of those conversations. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. But that's just been there all week since I had that breakthrough in play. Yeah, but that's amazing because I feel like that's always there. Well, yeah, except we shut it down because it's not safe. Yeah. And, like, I've been so present and aware of, like, things that I do, like, bite my lips or, you know, like, lean a certain way. And, like, these are just ways that I express myself. Yeah. And it, like, it doesn't mean mm. that I, there, if there's a guy across from me that I want to fuck him. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, though, that when we realize that those kind of things elicit that kind of reaction mm-hmm. from men, that then we begin to stifle our forms of expression. We're like, okay, well, I'm going to be sure not to bite my lip, or I'm going to be sure not to like cock my head that certain Mm -hmm. way because I know that when I do that it elicits a reaction that doesn't feel good to me and I get sexualized without my consent so we shut ourselves down we stop playing yeah and then we get depressed (laughs) yeah (laughs) well not not everyone but well that was certainly my experience of it 
Well, I mean, to come back to the very top of the episode, um, and to kind of, like, weave some of this together, we've established that we agree that sexual energy is creative energy, and that's mm-hmm. very widely agreed. It's not just Hayani and I who think that. It's like, that's what Every they say about ever. chakras and yeah. the artist's way and, what you know, all the things. So sexual energy and creative energy are one and the same. So if women are shutting down their sexual energy to avoid being, um, to avoid receiving unwanted advances Mm -hmm. that they don't feel comfortable in warding off because we're not taught at a young age how to assert our boundaries and how to keep ourselves safe. and that we can. And that we're allowed to do that, (laughs) yeah. And, um, oh, what's the third? There was, I was like tying it all together. Oh, and so we shut ourselves down. And when we shut down that sexual energy, what we're actually doing is shutting off our creative energy, mm. which is turning off our power. Because in my estimation, the whole point of being a woman is being a vessel and a channel for creative energy mm. to come into the world. Yes. So it's big what we're talking about. Yeah. It really is. It really, what feels enormous for me, especially at this point, like, I, I feel like I'm reclaiming my, my power. Mm. There you go. Yeah. And powerful was powerful. your word. Yeah. That's, like, kind of where I was trying to, like, circle back to. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I'm going to reheat my coffee. Do you want not warmed up at all? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's just a little bit. Talk to me while I do this. Um, so, exercising daily, like, the notion that my turn-on and my sexual energy can exist, or not, like, exists for me and not for anyone else, has given me much more freedom and much more power. And you, how does that tie into exercise? Because it's you just say that about you brought up. Exercise? Yeah, because it's 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 not like it's a practice. Like it's not something that comes naturally. It's not something that I I, I can do like easily. Unfortunately, I, I I'll get good at it. I'm getting good at it. Can I tell you that yesterday? So I'm about to start a 40-day yoga. I want to do the same yoga, kundalini yoga kriya every day for 40 days. Yes. And I was going to start on Saturday, and then I didn't start. And then I was like, well, I'm not starting on Sunday because I was out late Saturday night. And then I was like, I'll start Monday. Didn't start. And I was like, oh, I'll start today. Didn't do it. So I hear you. And now you're in, I'm understanding why. Mmm. <laughs> It's because I'm terrified of my own sexuality. I know. It's scary. It's scary. Like, it's... And it's not because the thing itself is scary. It's just because the reactions to it are scary. Yes. The world's reaction to my sexuality scares the shit out of me. And and it's the... It's not just that the reactions are there. It's just that they're widely accepted. And they're not... 
that no one's held accountable for them. Yeah, and it's interesting to hold the space for knowing when to set a boundary and knowing what's okay because it's such a gray area and it's mm. so subjective. So like lately, I've been showing up a lot more on Instagram and I've been receiving a lot of messages from men that I don't know. And some of them are really nice. Some of them are like, you're a stunning woman. And I don't know. I'm like, should I block that yeah, person? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Is that creepy? Is yeah. that not? Or do I just receive the compliment and I don't respond? I definitely choose not to respond because I don't need mm -hmm. to use my energy in that way. No, yeah. Um, but it's interesting knowing like what's safe to receive and what feels like it crosses the line. Yeah, because there's also a big story of like, well, you women like it when we say these things about you, right? If if we don't catcall you in the street, you feel like you are not pretty enough, and it's like eh, that's not really the case. But okay, but even even like this friend when he like voiced his opinion about me being attractive, I didn't even like have a response to it because I was like, okay, is that creepy? Is that just nice? Is that like what? Like, can I receive it? Can mm -hmm. I can I receive it without It's just so confusing. <laughs> no wonder we're so angry and like crazy. Yeah. Cuz it's like That's where I'm at right now. Like it's I have learned and gotten good at knowing what I don't want. And now I'm like what the fuck do I want? Mm. Because then there's there's a lot of pain and anger that comes up in these interactions. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's to the point where someone calls me attractive and I'm like, yeah, but, like, I'm also really intelligent and talented. And, you know, I have a lot more to offer than just my looks. And, and it's like, yeah, but... I can, I can be these things and also be attractive, but, like, I just don't like that that's the first thing that comes up, you know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, right? Because it makes us very armored. Yeah. It makes it so that when someone does genuinely want to compliment us mm. without attachment to, like, getting something from us, that instead of being able to receive it, we're, like, overly defensive, overly armored. Because I think it's almost like this pendulum. You know, if you've lived your whole life which I think most women have, um, not feeling comfortable asserting boundaries, feeling objectified, feeling sexualized without your consent. Mm. Um, then when you start to learn boundaries, it's almost like you have to swing a little bit too hard the other way, <laughs> where there's like hard lines where maybe they don't necessarily have to be there. And it's like about this process of learning to find this middle space where you can still be soft and have boundaries instead of having to be so on guard all the time. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm figuring it out. I think, for me, the honest answer of that question is to just pay more attention to my own reactivity than I do to whatever has triggered the reactivity. Do you know what I mean? So if a man says something to me and it triggers me, mm. I get interested in my reactivity, not in the person who said the thing. And that's where I start. Because I'm like, ooh, what did that just trigger for me? 
what just got activated because it's obviously something I want to look at. Mm-hmm. What it, what actually happened and what what am I making this mean, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So, it's been a year since you had sex. It has been a year. Have you ever been tempted? To be fair, no, I haven't (laughs) at all, which is interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And I have also created, like, a rule of, like, Next time I have sex with someone for the first time, I cannot be intoxicated in some way. Mm. I I have to be sober. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a great rule because it's so easy to like just get drunk and skip all that awkwardness that should exist when you're getting intimate with someone physically. Mm. And I feel like I've done that. For most of my life so it's like well it's gonna be much easier to be present to how I feel and to what my boundaries are and what I want and what I don't want if I'm not in that state of like whatever everything's great you know mm-hmm. um, uh, and yeah I have found people attractive but it hasn't it's it's been like oh yeah this person's attractive i really i don't need to have sex with them because i find them attractive and it's like wow that's that's great (laughs) that feels great Mm. because it's like usually it would be like a spiral of like this person's attractive i wonder if he likes me i wonder if he like thinks i'm attractive too i wonder what he thinks about me and then like started to read into the person's behavior of like that mean anything and like uh, and a big story that I had in my in my life was that men and women can't be friends and yeah I am finding out that men are actually nice friends to have yeah I love having men as friends me too me too and um but I feel like I've been taught this so I'm not entirely I'm responsible, but I feel like the notion that the only thing that I could possibly be good for for a man is sex Mm. has been passed down to me. So, and it's really sad. Well, it creates this incredible energy of distrust and mistrust. Yeah. Like, and it's so interesting because when I say that, the actual feeling that comes up for me is not trusting myself. Mm. And um, <clears throat> it's like, can I be in friendship with this person without accidentally provoking him into a sexual place? And then look at all that responsibility I'm carrying mm. for his sexual response that has really nothing to do with me. I mean... Maybe I'm the trigger, but. But your existence is the trigger. Yeah, it's like, can I just live? Yeah. Which is, I think, what people who 
don't understand feminism need to get. Mm-hmm. This is what you need to get. Like, what you don't see is that we're... We don't want to go around teasing men and they can't do anything. We yeah. just want to go around living our lives. Yeah. Like, and expressing ourselves fully. Yeah. And I think the thing that's really important to acknowledge right here in this conversation is that... So what we've just said is that existing in a female body is challenging because a female body can provoke a response that Mm. then leads to that female body being traumatized. And I think it's very important to acknowledge that existing in a black Mm -hmm. or brown body can provoke a response that then leads the person who exists in the black or brown body to be traumatized. Um, And that it happens everywhere, all day, every day, in both contexts. which is why we can't talk about feminism without also talking about racism yeah it's intersectionality is the only way because it's systems of oppression that's essentially what it is and it's so it's so important that we make it like a daily practice and make it a point like in our lives of like unpacking these things and it's not easy it's it's ugly it's Mm -hmm. it's shameful yeah and i think about what you were saying your experience in mrs strata to like go into a space and to be like oh like, this is, like, a space where, in the past, this is how I would have acted. And then to still, like, continue to stay in that space and use that space to do your unpacking. Mm. You know, like, this is how I would have acted in the past. How do I choose to act now? What feelings is that bringing up for me? What judgments am I having about myself and about the other people involved? How do I navigate that while continuing to stay engaged with these people? Mm. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? I gained a lot of weight throughout that production. Really? That is interesting. Because I felt like I was like, I'm okay, so I don't I don't want to be a threat to these unavailable men. So I'm gonna <sighs> create like a, a barrier and like desexualize myself. Subconsciously, right? Subconsciously. You weren't like yeah, I'm yeah. gonna put on yeah, a lot of weight. Like, yeah. Looking back, yeah. That's what I think happened. A hundred percent. And then I'm like, okay, well, that goes into a whole other thing. You want to look at women who are overweight in their bodies mm. um, and who aren't in love with how they look or how they feel. Like, it's totally fine. I think fatness is a beautiful thing. Like, <laughs> I think fat women are gorgeous, personally. Yes. And there is this kind of carrying of weight as a protective mechanism to ward off, again, unwanted advances. It's like a literal, literal wall. Yeah. It's a literal protection. It's a yeah. buffer, right? It's like a stay away. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's specific to women. I think it's, it, yeah, it's all people. All people. Yeah, it's... And it's... If you think about it, there's... It's so... 
there's so much, uh, for like there's so much reason for us to feel unsafe as women, because we're taught that for men we exist, we exist to serve men and sexually, right? And then, okay, so then if I can't have male friends, I can have female friends, and then you're taught that. You're, you must compete, right? And, and we're all fighting for the, the good we're men. We're all fighting for the good men. So <laughs> there's no such thing as true friendship. being a, a girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like... You can't trust men. You can't trust you can't women. Trust women. You can't trust anyone, essentially. Just your parents. <laughs> but not everyone can trust their parents. Not everyone. You think about yeah. all the sexual abuse that happens in families. Well, I mean, I... I yes. But that's... I feel like that's why sexual abuse within the family not why but like that's that helps perpetuate the how how easily that access goes because people don't question the relationship as much mm-hmm. and also because they're the primary caregivers and like, there's an existing intimacy yeah but it's so interesting that that is what I feel like this all really comes down to is what we're having is a conversation about intimacy mm. and the fact that there's not a lot of it in the world because intimacy has become so conflated with sexuality and sexual exchange that it's almost not safe to be intimate. Yeah. Yeah. Like to have an intimate friendship oh with a man. My goddess, completely. Completely, and I will say that that I have felt stifled so many times in expressing affection towards my significant other because I didn't want to start sex. Yes, yes, yes. Or how many times I have rejected touch from my significant other because I was unclear if the touch was being offered freely or if the touch was being offered as a preamble to sex. And I feel like that's also something that men are taught, that that's what you have to want. Like, you can't just be affectionate mm-hmm. without an agenda. Mm-hmm. And it's like... It, it's, the system is failing everyone. It's, we, women take... The harder I feel, like it's it's shittier for us and for people of color and for minorities. But if you take a hard look at it, I don't think men are happy either. No, the oppressor suffers too. It feels clear. Yeah. And the challenging thing is to hold space for that truth when you are the one who is experienced the violence, experiencing the violence mm-hmm. of oppression. Yeah. And how does that not feel like emotional labor? Right. That, and that's my big, like, <laughs> right now trying to navigate that. Like, how not to hate men and how to have compassion for them. Mm, it can be challenging sometimes. Yeah. I think that a lot about uh, black people and white people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how do how do 
how do all black people not just hate all white people? I mean, again, we're looking at the same dynamic yeah. of oppressor and oppressed. And not like on an individual level, but on a systemic level. It would be really easy to write off the entire category of human. To be like, oh, I'm just over white people. Or like, I'm just over men. Or I'm just over white men. You want to get really specific and... Individually, they're great <laughs> as a group sometimes. And the thing I think that we have to come to terms with is that we all perpetuate yeah. oppression in yeah. some way. We're all responsible. We are all responsible. And the ways that I change myself are the ways that I change the world, essentially. Hmm. Can you say more about that? Uh, yes. Like, it, I feel like it's a matter of being present to your thoughts and to how you behave and how you, again, the stories that you're making about things. For example, I went to a Zen monastery mm. for the first time, uh, I think, a couple weeks back because I went to... I went to the Catskills to run away from life and the politics and everything. And it turned out that my Airbnb hosts were super engaged. And it was like a super fun and amazing experience of like, and a realization of like, you can't run away from your problems. You have to deal from your problems. You have to deal with them. <laughs> <laughs> Catskills though, instead of New York City. Yeah, it's like it, there's more oxygen there for sure. <laughs> um, and then I went to the Zen monastery, and, and you know, it was the first time I, I'd ever been to like a Buddhist temple ever. And you're very aware of everything, and also like we were meditating and breathing and being present to everything. And so there's like a um, like chanting before and after like the the talk mm -hmm. right and the mantras were being led by this man this guru and when he started singing the mantra i like immediately because i'm also very musical like i sing and i immediately like matched his pitch because mm -hmm. that's like I feel like that's so funny that's something I've ever I've always done even every, like when I was a kid and like I would I'm not Catholic but I wasn't brought up Catholic but whenever I would eventually be at like a mass or something um I would like try to match the pitch of like whoever was singing or mm -hmm. um and I matched his pitch and then there was this this student next to me she, it was a woman and she was part of the monastery she was one of the how do you call them monks I don't, I don't know if she was a monk herself but you know she was like dressed with the clothing she had shaved head and she was like in a completely different pitch and my my first reaction was like what is this woman doing she's disrupting <laughs> 
<laughs> like wow. this is a Buddhist temple. Yeah. And it was like it was a very quick like thought that if I let it run freely, I'd be like it would my whole experience would have been lowered by my negative my negativity around well also that. like there's your internalized sexism showing absolutely look at and this then, woman fucking everything up yeah absolutely because and i even made a, an instagram story about that because first of all i was assuming that what he was doing was right because he was the authority yeah the guru and because he was a man yeah and then because it was the weekend that i was very present to like sexism it, well this was We're always very present. Right around the time of the Kavanaugh hearing. Yes. Exactly. And and then I was like, oh, wait a second. Maybe if I join her pitch, her voice will be raised. Mm, mm, I have chills. And then I joined her. And then the people who were around us, like, chanting together, it, it just became a harmony. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> yeah, mind blown. Mind blown. And I was like, this is what happens when you fix your own ingrained, sexist, oppressive patterns. Yeah, when you align yourself consciously then the people around you are pulled into a different alignment too, whether they're aware of it or not. Yeah. And it's, That's it's such a beautiful example. Just happened because I, I had the presence and the desire to join in with the voice that was the, the, the least heard. It was a really powerful experience, and I, I was so. And then, like, and then the whole chanting became so much more beautiful. Yeah, it turns into something like magical. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure that everyone around experienced it somehow, because it's a vibrational thing. Mm-hmm. Like, sound is a vibrational thing, so. So yeah, it's it's the ways in which we address our own because I I get caught up like trying to fix everyone, and I feel like that's not the most effective <laughs> sometimes. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, that's what not having sex will <laughs> make you think about it. <laughs> You have a lot more time to think about, like, really important things when you're not engaging in uh, romantic entanglement. Or, like, do I have cellulite? Like, do yeah. I have, like, did I shave? Or, like, how will he perceive me in this lighting if I take my clothes off? Oh, my God. Or did I, oh, can we go for dinner and have a burger if I'm, we're going to have sex later? Because I don't have, like, a belly. Oh, my God. The other night I thought... Um, thought it was feasible that there might be a man headed to my apartment with a sexual agenda (laughs) and um it was interesting because I started having all of those thoughts that I 
haven't had since my relationship ended. I was mm. like, oh my God, do I, do I need to shave my legs? It was like 1130 at night. And I was like, do I need to shave my legs? And I was like, oh my God, what about my pubic hair? And then I had to like really like calm myself down and be like, okay, if this person is going to show up here in the middle of the night, they're probably going to be okay with the fact that you have hair on your body. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it was interesting because I was immediately thrown into a headspace that I haven't been existing in. That like, have to make everything perfect yeah for this human I have to receive this human being yeah. like in a perfect scented <laughs> dream <laughs> like whatever yeah and it's like yeah it's it's mind-blowing like it's it's scary it's it's like and it's I don't know I wonder what would happen if we didn't have to worry about these things like what how our relationships would change hmm. well I think we'd have a lot more intimacy yeah yeah absolutely absolutely if it was safe to be seen truly seen without having to worry what that might provoke that's what I come back to Yeah, and absolutely. The thing that I'm struggling with right now is that I have been very present to the, the situations in which I said no and I voiced my boundaries somehow mm-hmm. and how badly people took it. scares me to like have to assert my boundaries like the last person I had sex with we had an episode of like I was we were both coming out of relationships I had been in a relationship with a man who I thought was like the love of my life um and my soulmate uh and then that didn't work out because it turned out he was unavailable too like he was (laughs) he lived in a different country Mm -hmm. um And, well, we were both, like, healing, and clearly none of us were was ready to be in a relationship, but we kind of, like, stuck to each other just because we were like, let's not be alone in this time. And then I brought him over one night, and I was hurting. I was a mess after my, my breakup. And then we were going to have sex. And we started kissing. Not we were going to have sex. We started kissing. And then I started crying. Like, and I started, like, my body just was like, no, this is not what you want to do right now. And then he got really upset. Because he was also a very insecure person. And he was like, well, how do you think that makes me feel? And I was like, this is just not about you. And I was crying, like, literally. And 
it was one of the most and then he was like he said something like do you want me to leave and i'm like no because i don't have sex right now does that mean that like does that discredit everything that like i like you as a person and then he got over himself we went to bed and eventually he left in the morning um And then it was exactly the week that hashtag me too came up on social media. Huh. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't think I even knew the, the, the full meaning of it at that time. I don't think any of us, knew, we didn't know like the magnitude of what it would become, but it was like, and then he, who considers, well, he, I mean, if I had to place him somewhere, I'd be like, he is in the woke side of the force. He considers himself a feminist. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> he reached out and apologized. And he was like, in the light of everything that's happening, I can't help but notice that I was an asshole. <laughs> You're like, thanks for noticing. Yeah. <laughs> And then part of me was like, oh, yeah, totally cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks yeah. for apologizing. But part of me was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, which is not to say I think he's a great person, but there was anger. You know, there was resentment. Like, just like, I, I was being vulnerable with you. Mm-hmm. And you made it about you. And you made it about you. And about you being rejected. the whole point right that's the whole yeah the other thing that's really present for me is like knowing I think the other thing around sexual interaction between men and women and you know I'm just now getting present to the fact that we've been speaking very much in binary terms this entire episode and I don't mean to exclude um, anyone who doesn't identify as like a man or a woman I know there's an entire spectrum and I want to acknowledge that I think you and I are both speaking from our direct experience which is why we're talking in that binary Absolutely. I would love if anybody out there listening wants to share some of their experiences around this as a non-binary individual or however you identify if you want to reach out I would love to talk with you Um, anyway what I was going to say is that I think as women, people in female bodies, women identifying humans, um, we're often taught like not to say something unless we have to, which means that we lot we let a lot of um, microaggressions slide, mm. like a lot of things that make us uncomfortable. We don't say anything about because it's not a big enough deal to say something. Cause if you say something, you're going to upset the other person. And as I'm saying this, I'm again, present to, this is the same with racism, you know, like white people are racist all the time. And I think most of the time black people don't say anything because it's just too much trouble because then you have to deal with the white person's response. Mm. So same thing is like with men and women, it's like men cross boundaries all the time. Oh. I was at, um, just the other day I was out at, um, a softball game and there was a man there who I had just met and he was drinking and he was a lovely human and 
he offered me some alcohol and I said, no, thank you. I was like, I'm being sober right now. And then he just started like, he pulled me into this like one, I, he was behind me and he pulled me into this like one armed hug where he had his arm around my shoulders and my like chest really tightly to his body. And think like me drinking I would have been like hey that's not okay mm. however because there was alcohol involved and because I was like well I don't know what his reaction is going to be if I do that I chose not to say anything and then I kept my um I kept myself somewhat separate from him physically for the rest of the time that we were there because I was like this human is very much in my physical space without my consent and I don't necessarily feel safe or confident or comfortable enough to say something and is it worth it? Is it? Yeah. Is it worth it to keep myself safe? Hmm, let me think about it. Yeah. Is it worth it for me to say something so that this human doesn't do this to another woman? Is it worth it that everyone around might think that you're a bitch or... Yeah. Or too harsh or overreacting? Yeah, and because I, I can... I know, like, he wasn't... His intention was to be playful, mm -hmm. and he was looking for closeness with a female body. It was very clear, and it wasn't just me. It was the other women around, too. And he, and he even said something around, along the lines of, like, women are for hugging or something, which is problematic. <laughs> yes. Um, but then I think of, like, another experience that I had with a close friend where that friend hugged me, and it felt a little too sexual. And then I didn't say anything in the moment because, again, there had been alcohol involved. Mm. And then I spent the next, like, two or three days trying to discern whether or not it was worth it to say something. And eventually I did say something, and I was hesitant to do so. However, I was like, this is actually important if you and I are going to continue to be friends the way that we have been, that, like, that hug was too intimate for me. And to trust him to be able to receive that feedback, which he did masterfully because he's an incredible human. Um, however, the amount of energy that goes into trying to discern whether or not it's safe mm. to assert a boundary for anyone in a marginalized body. it's it's a lot even as we're recording this I'm like is this guy that was at the softball game gonna hear this and feel bad I thought about it when I was talking about my experience yeah with the last person I had sex with and that like just directly illustrates how it's like do I need to shut down my authentic self expression to keep from hurting the feelings of this person who actually crossed a line mm -hmm. like that's so fucked up yeah yeah, and it's interesting because that happens and and that extrapolates to like non-sexual circumstances. Like, yeah. for example, I very much uh, inspired by you <laughs> started sharing a lot of my personal life in, on Instagram. Uh -huh. And just like checking in every day and like showing up uh, which was a major, another major thing that, like, helped me 
be more comfortable in my skin and it really has empowered my my work my mm-hmm. acting just like being able to exist in my feelings and in my body every day and not have to not well I do question whether it, like it's fit or if it's good enough but I, it doesn't stop me from putting myself out there mm-hmm. on social media um, and I, I receive a lot of am- amazing feedback of women, like, being like, I love your honesty, this helps me so much, and of men saying, like, this is great, like, not a lot of people do that, that's, it's so powerful what you do, and, um, but I also received a lot of, why do you have to deal with your dirty laundry in public? How dare you? How dare you? Like, you, people think you're depressed. And I'm like, mm, how do I explain to this person that I don't really care about what people think? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what if I'm depressed? Don't you think that maybe this could be part of my healing process? Yeah. Or, like, do you think shaming me for owning my feelings is the way to make things better I mean it's the way to make things better for you because you're feeling uncomfortable because you have to watch my things or you don't have to (laughs) or you could just choose not to watch if it makes you so uncomfortable turn it off if like me existing as a person who has feelings and who's in touch with my feelings bothers you then just it's not like Someone's making you be. Go away. And it's, I I promise I won't take it personally. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's that, it's, it's that thing that we, that frame that we have to exist in, Mm -hmm. either sexually or emotionally. It's like, don't be too much. Don't be, don't be full. Don't be self-expressed enough that it makes anyone else feel anything. Mm. Unless what you're making them feel is socially acceptable. That's it. (laughs) That's it. Please be responsible for the entire world's reaction to you. That's what it is. That's what it feels like. You're like, how am I supposed to do that? (laughs) It's a lot. Yeah. And still be in shape and successful and be in a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) I no wonder we're all like, um, hello, it's not, it's not working. Something's not working. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm trying to do all the things I've been taught how to do and something is still not working. That's why we got to throw out the rule book and have a year of abstinence. So what's your stance? Are, is there like a stance now? Or what are the conditions under which you look forward to enjoying sex again? Um, I, the conditions are, I need to feel heard and 
I'm looking forward to having sex again because I know that the next time I have sex, it's going to be an act of um, adoration. Mm. Self-adoration and also exchanged adoration. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the healing experience. I will not use sex as a numbing practice anymore and as a I'm I'm really excited to see how sexual exchange like literally in sex um, how that power translates into constructing and not destructing you know like not breaking not how it exists in as a part of my my growth and my healing process and not as a part as a mechanism that kept tearing me down mm. mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I don't know if it's gonna be another year or if it's gonna be a week no, I had no idea that it, it was shocking to me like, to wake up and be like wow it's been a year it's a long time it is a long time I haven't had sex in four and a half months oh you're almost halfway there <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah and it's it's not like I get turned on like I I haven't had sex with an, another person, you know? <laughs> yeah, but you've had sex with yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes that's better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely less dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's also interesting. It's also... Um, we've talked a little bit about that. Of, like, what turned me on? And, like, in what... Yeah. In what context... Mm. I feel like I deserve to be to orgasm. <laughs> so interesting. This is so Hayani and I have talked about this before. I've shared with her that since my relationship ended, I have been uh, not finding myself genuinely turned on by anything, even if I like want to masturbate, which I sometimes have. It's been very like going through the motions, and it's like I can get myself there, but it's like not like it's not sparking it's something's not totally clicking with my body like I'm having a bodily disconnect around turn on and I think you said something to me around like um like do you think that's because like the only way you've like been turned on is as the object of a man's desire and I was like oh yeah because especially in masturbation like I always have um, masturbated thinking about usually the person that I'm in relationship with 
And it's like without that, I have this like weird vacuum that I kind of like don't know yeah. how to fill. And, and uh, you know what the interesting thing is? What? It's also this, to me. It's like masturbation was also a tool in my cool girl toolbox oh. of like I masturbate. Uh-huh. Like, I'm sexually free. I'm like I'm sexually aware. You're proving and something with your masturbation. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm being completely honest, most of the times I'm just like, um, yeah, I guess I am gonna masturbate now. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it's not something that comes naturally to me, as in like. Sometimes it does, and like in the middle of the street, I'm like, I'm not gonna masturbate now. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not gonna find a bathroom. <laughs> but like, once you're in the container that you can masturbate, like it, it. Sometimes I'm like, I just want to go to bed, really, because it's, uh, it's. If I start masturbating now, like, we have the amazing gift of like being able to orgasm as much as we want. So I'm like, it becomes a thing. And then I end, I end up like, like... I'm just tired. I'm just tired. I just want to go to bed. And yeah, that's so funny. But then, it, so now it's more about like, oh, I had a rough day. Maybe I'll masturbate. You know? mm, yeah, that feels delicious. Yeah. Like masturbation as self-care. As like taking a massage. Yeah. Well, it, that's like essentially what it is. It's just a yeah. massage for... But that's new to me. Like it, before I used to be like... I'm gonna masturbate to keep the juices flowing because sometime, someday a man is gonna come in here and it, it needs to be, you know. Oh my god, it's like I gotta like do car maintenance. Yeah. That's what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Because someday somebody's gonna wanna drive this. Yeah. Wow. Oh, but you just said a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's 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 an ugly, it's the ugly truth it's hard to look into it like but but it's possible to change it mm. not until you look at it though no you have to see it and, yeah. it and how we relate to sex is so important you know like coming back to that thing that like sexuality and creativity are intrinsically tied and so if you're in a fucked up relationship around sexuality likely you're not being fully expressed creatively. And whether you're an artist or not, that has such a powerful impact on your life. Because creative energy is is how you do everything. Yeah. Well, meant to be how we do everything. Yeah. And again, I think that goes back to like talking about why the world is as fucked up as it is. It's like, well, all these women walk around cut off from their creative energy. And that's part of the reason that things are so out of balance. We've taken ourselves out of the game to keep ourselves safe while still going through the motions of the game. That's what it feels like. And the world is dying. Yeah. The planet is dying. Shakti rising. We're going to save it. We're going to save it. Wield our sexuality to save the world. Every day I feel like I'm in doubt. Like, I don't know. I just go and watch Moana. (laughs) (laughs) Moana. Restores the heart of Tefiti. And, like, it's possible we're going to get there. Oh, my God. You're so cute. All right. So, what else is present for you before I 
bring us home with our closing questions. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that's really alive? I, well, this has been an interesting week and um, I'm in therapy too because that's really important. Good for you. Yeah. And I mean, especially, not especially, I feel like everyone should do therapy, but as an artist, like you're really dealing with a lot of intense like high stakes scenarios which are not real but also you think about them and you contemplate them and you dive into them and you dissect them and you live in them for a little bit uh, and I've been in therapy for like six months maybe and I this week was the first time that I was able to talk about an assault that happened to me and I had never spoken about it to another human being because I felt like no matter who I s told it, it would be my fault um, and and this is this has been very present to me and just how relieving it was mm -hmm. to be able to say it in a safe space and to hear this happened this is not your fault and I guess that what I what What that left me with is the power of telling your story. It's the power of speaking your truth and and from where you're at because your truth is always changing, right? And, um, even the event itself, the assault, I'd never perceived it as an assault before mm -hmm. because felt so ashamed and guilty about the setup of the thing. Well, I'm not going to get into like too much detail, but I was interested in the guy. Mm. So I felt like what happened didn't have, like wasn't, couldn't possibly be A violation because I'd expressed interest in this man even though I eventually said no but like it was it was a horrifying event and essentially what happened was that I knew this guy from my college and he was very handsome. All, all the women wanted, like we always, always talked about him, how handsome he was, how gorgeous he was, and like how we all wanted to go out with him and blah. blah. And um, 
at a party we we ended like we ended up like kissing and he lived in my in my neighborhood and he drove me home and then essentially he took me to like a different like place in my complex which is like not very populated <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's not a lot of people walking there and tried to have sex with me and I'd had like a couple beers but I that night for some reason I was very clear that I didn't want to have sex with him well I also think because people say you can't have sex with him because he'll think you're easy or something mm-hmm. and I was like this is such a gorgeous man I'm gonna take a stand for myself and the fact that he didn't hear it until it was almost too late was so so degrading um, and then because I said no after like not well, after I said no he drove me home and never said a word to me ever again And I never said that to anyone because I felt like it was my fault because I I was in his car and I had had a couple of beers and we were already making out, you know, like we were already together. Um, And so I didn't even perceive it as an assault until I learned that because I get in a car with someone, I don't have to have sex with them. Yeah. 